Hold on to your seats, everyone. Michael Myers is back in the driving seat. Welcome, everyone, to Scaring Sam. I'm James. And I'm Sam. And we are in the midst now of our Halloween celebrations. <laughs> and how are you, my love monkey? Have you dealt with that troll under your bed yet? What? <laughs> His name is Greg. He's an arsehole. Keeps on waking me up in the middle of the night to call me names. Do you mean the kittens? No. Greg, the troll. What? Well, are you going to look into it? Okay. Or you could explain. <laughs> He's a troll that lives under your bed called Greg. He keeps on waking me up and hailing abuse at me. So, you going to look into it? No. Because he's a strange dude. He wants to eat my toenails. What? <laughs> anyway, it's a weird time for film lovers. Right now, there's a worldwide closure of all Cineworlds. And I've been managing to keep my morale quite high, all things considering, in this pandemic. But hearing that the cinemas are closing again, and the uncertainty of their future, that's got us down. It does indeed. But isn't the ice cream an issue as well? <laughs> well, it'd be alright for our little tums. <laughs> Secret to our um, weekend cinema dates, we have ice cream every single time. And I'm not talking about one scoop. We have two scoops. Brownies, the hot fudge sauce, the toppings. <laughs> Basically, we have impulse control problems. Sugar and fat. Mm. Impulse problems. <laughs> but cinema is important to us. Usually our date nights revolve around going to the cinema. We do love the whole experience. And in fact, our first date, we watched Red Sparrow at Leicester Square Cineworld. We did. And in hindsight, that was perhaps the wrong film to see <laughs> on the first date. Yeah, we didn't realise how sexual it was going to get. So there was a lot of awkward exchanges between us. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so for us as a couple, cinema is important to us. When the cinemas first reopened during the pandemic, we didn't hesitate at all to return back to it. No, we were actually, um, we were there on the first weekend that we could. It's quite sad, we got excited about it. Yeah, and that? then we got upset because there wasn't much ice cream choices. <laughs> Yeah, it's getting to that point now. We can't decide whether or not we're going to the cinema because we're excited to see films on the big screen or we're just going there to binge an ice cream. <laughs> or the combination. It's great. <laughs> All we can hope for is that the issue is resolved because there is no substitute for the cinema experience. That's where films deserve to be seen. Right there on the big screen. Yeah, I 100% agree. Shall we continue with the episode? Let's do that, yeah. And now we're settling down to do our favourite pastime of watching horror movies. Well, your favourite pastime, my present time. <laughs> it's your present occupation, forced upon you by your boyfriend. So, if you hadn't a guest, we're watching Halloween. Well, the 2018 Halloween. We are indeed. There's so many films now called Halloween. So, let's dive in, shall we? It's 40 years on from the babysitter murders, and for Laurie Strode, Michael Myers has become the face of trauma. After all the previous sequels in the franchise were wiped from continuity, this direct follow-up to John Carpenter's original had to have a genuine reason for existing, beyond just a cheap cash grab. 
For me, this is the first time we have witnessed in a sequel to a slasher the real consequences of surviving the harrowing events of a mass serial killer. We don't just get the fake-out dream sequence where the final girl wakes up believing she's under attack again. And I'm not counting the Scream franchise. Because Sydney just fucked off to an Airbnb cabin. She's still acting like a well-adjusted member of society. Halloween 2018 avoids that cliché and instead makes Laurie's pain and suffering the driving force for the entire plot of the movie. It explores the long-lasting trauma that extreme violence has upon its victims. Laurie's life is utterly dominated by the horror she experienced at the hands of Myers 40 years ago. It's been behind all her decisions made since that night, and it's been the cause of all the negative consequences of her actions too. Since the last time we met her, Laurie has been divorced twice, her total obsession training and preparing for Maya's escape forced the social services to intervene. Now she has a strained relationship with her daughter, who keeps her away from her granddaughter. Even the true crime podcasters want to understand Myers and his motivations for killing, yet they've already condemned Laurie as a basket case for her past. The way she's portrayed in the first half of the film, right down to her mirroring Myers standing outside the school, is Laurie meant to be her family's boogeyman? After all, the way she raised her daughter traumatised her. She lost custody of her as a result. Karen is haunted by her upbringing the same as Laurie is haunted by Michael Myers. Don't you think, though, with everything that Laurie's been through, that (laughs) of course it's going to affect you? How are we to know how we would actually deal with that ourselves? Well, exactly, but all these other sequels to slasher films in all these different franchises, the protagonist always seems to be still reasonably well-adjusted. Of course it's going to affect you. He killed a few of her friends all on one night. It was a bit gruesome, and then he, like, he's haunting her, basically, isn't he? Yeah, of course. But, like I said, all these other films... They tend to have that in the first act and then as the plot kicks in and all these other new side characters start getting picked off, they seem to forget all about the trauma of the main protagonist. But I think the trauma is actually the thing driving her to end it. She doesn't want him affecting her life anymore. She wants to take control of her life. And to be able to do that... He needs to be gone. Yeah, after 40 years of tormenting yourself in this way. Yeah. Literally setting up shop in in the middle of nowhere. You've got your own fortified fortress. You trained yourself with guns and God knows what else she's done all these years. Of course, you need an end point. Yeah, but don't you you think that um, she actually makes a good point that we should be preparing children for the future ahead. We don't know what to expect, so expect the unexpected. Well, maybe not everyone would need this type of preparation, but we should all know a bit of self-defence, and also, this is kind of aimed at Laurie, learn a little to forgive and forget, to a point to save our own mental health, because it's all about balance. Yeah, I think Laurie's mistake was... She was training for the absolute worst-case scenario. Mm. She couldn't see past that. There was no compromise for her. To the point, it 
it affected her home life, where she had two divorces and she lost her child. Mm. I mean, that is the absolute extreme of what could possibly have in such an obsession. But her obsession was to keep her family safe. She wanted to keep her daughter safe. Well, after the ordeal of seeing her friends murdered 40 years ago, that is the only thing on her mind she can't forget. But over the course of the film, Laurie takes control of the situation she has prepared for for decades. Mm -hmm. As a result, she becomes the sole protector and saviour of her family and Haddonfield as a whole. She no longer allows herself to remain the victim anymore. She transforms herself into Michael Myers, boogeyman. (laughs) So they're chasing each other then? What was it someone said? Oh, Sartain, of course, said something like Michael's lives for his victims and each one lives for the other person, whatever he says. Something like yeah, that, something yeah. something along those lines. Fucking Sartain. <laughs> Sartain, whatever his name is. So the Doctor that we see in this Halloween, is he in the other ones? Because there are there are films in, in between this first one and this one that we've just seen. There's quite a few, yeah. But no, he has not featured at all in any of the previous films. He's a entirely new character. So how does this all link together then? Because I haven't seen the ones in between. We've gone from the first one to this one. Well, it's complicated. (laughs) That's the short answer. Okay, so obviously there was the original Halloween, 1978. Then they did Halloween Part 2. That's when it's revealed that Laurie is Michael's sister somehow, which kind of gives him motivation why he keeps coming after her. Right, okay. that takes place on the same night as the original film. And then you've got Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which is a completely different story. It does involve Michael Myers. involves this weird cult and a bunch of Halloween masks that melts kids' faces off. Great, okay. Yep. (laughs) Okay, so we'll erase the third one. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And Laurie isn't in that one because it's... Apparently revealed that she died off camera in between the events of the first two films and now. And she apparently has a daughter, but both her parents have died. So Michael is now coming after his child niece. And then you got, what, five and six, which what? is... How many are there? Yeah. <laughs> which the only returning character now is Loomis. Any after that? Oh, and then there's Halloween H2O which is 20 years after the original Halloween and Jamie Lee Curtis is back as Laurie. From the dead? No, now they've completely wrote out the events that took place after Halloween Part 2. So Michael is still Laurie's sister and now he's come back 20 years later and coming after her and her son and his friends and it's kind of got this whole 90s slasher meta vibe after the success of Scream. (laughs) But then they reboot the whole franchise with Rob Zombie's two films. And this is me summing up Rob Zombie's Halloween franchise. Okay, you ready? I'm going to do do my best hillbilly impression. Okay, go for it. You shut your slut mouth, I'm going to skull fuck you in the face. That's basically Rob Zombie films altogether. Okay. So now... I don't know what to take from that. (laughs) So Michael now comes from White Trash, and they go into great Mm -hmm. detail explaining 
what motivates him to kill and completely demystifies him. So now he's just been bullied and come from a bad family and all this tripe. But let's ignore Rob Zombie films. And then we come back to... Oh, oh, before Rob Zombie films, I forgot. There was also Halloween Resurrection, which then kills off Laurie Strode in the first couple of minutes. And the rest of the film is set in the Myers house with all these internet cameras everywhere. Right. And Buster Rhymes does kung fu and kicks uh, Michael Myers in the face. (laughs) So you can understand why I forgot that film. I wanted to forget that film. And now we come back to Halloween 2018, which completely wipes the map. And it's only the original and this one now. Okay. Which I feel was wise. Mm. But there's there's a few like references and stuff in in this film too. There's so many references. I mean, when they met, when you got Alison discussing with her friends that it's a complete misconception that it was her brother, mm. and then you see like certain ways characters are killed are referencing previous films. You see the free mask from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, even though it has nothing to do with Michael Myers. You see a couple of kids walking around in the background wearing those masks. Uh, see, all of these, I have just been none the wiser because I haven't seen those in between films. But you were like, oh, and that, and that, yeah, and if, that. If you're a horror fan, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. That's so-and-so. That's like the death scene in the um, public toilet in Halloween, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't add anything to it. And it's a bit iffy in place. I mean, it can be really distracting. Right. Okay. So it's kind of homage and kind of respecting basically the films they've made obsolete. You don't need to know these things to enjoy the film. No, and I, because I've seen the first one, um, and we only saw it a little while ago, didn't we? <laughs> and now we've seen this one, so I, I feel like I got everything out of it what I, what I needed to. I, I knew everything that I needed to know. To be able to understand this film. So let's look at the male gaze then. I mean, seeing as Michael enjoys peeping on women in public toilets. <laughs> yeah, let's discuss this film and the male gaze. Yeah, that scene was a bit, um, a bit horrific, wasn't it? A bit intense. <laughs> anyway, film critic Laura Mulvey coined a term. It occurs when the audience is put into the perspective of a heterosexual man depriving a female character of identity, turning them into a mere sex object solely admired for their physical appearance. And look no further than Michael Bay's movies, as they have a tendency to do this through slow motion or intentional camera angles that objectify a woman's body. And of course, we see this in quite a lot of slasher movies from the 80s. However, in horror, we tend to see through the eyes of the female lead, who's forced to survive the ordeal and overcome the killer, And this couldn't be more evident in Halloween. Yeah, so I didn't feel like women were sexualised in this film at all. They were shown in a realistic way. And Laurie, her daughter, her granddaughter together, they're all just normal. (laughs) It's not like they're putting them in cleavage showing tops and making them all like flappy little girls that don't know what to do when something bad happens. Well, even you've got her friend Vicky, you know, the blonde friend. Yeah. The side character is usually the one who gets objectified in Mm. these films. It's not done that much to the final girl, but then you've got this blonde friend who's actually likeable. She actually has character. 
And very relatable as well, isn't she? Yeah, and she has this really nice friendship with the kid she's babysitting. Yeah, she does, doesn't she? The only thing I didn't like would be that she's wearing socks and she's slipping over. Bad move. Like, you're either wearing slipper socks with the little grippy bits on them or you're barefoot. Don't be running around on a wooden floor with socks on. You know something's going to go wrong. I guess so. Well, she didn't, she didn't <laughs> expect to be chased down by a homicidal maniac this night. No, but me wearing socks on a wooden floor, I'm going to slip over even if I'm not being chased. <laughs> well, she was hoping that she's going to smoke weed and dry hump her boyfriend. That's what she was looking forward to this night. Mm. And Michael, as always, completely ruined their night. But, you know, at least Julian, the kid, got out. Yeah, he just disappears though, doesn't he? At least he warned Dave. Mm. You're going to die, Dave. Yeah, and with the um, the kid that's being babysat, there's a section in there when he's been taken upstairs and he looks at his wardrobe door open. I'd be calling the babysitter back. Close that door. <laughs> well, she did. She paid the prize in the end. Well, no, no, not at that point, though. When she first puts him to bed, this is before um, Michael's actually got in the house. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm scared of being like of doors being open like that. Your your imagination just goes crazy. So that kid's probably he's like staring at that door, thinking there's something in there. It's babysitter credentials to check under the beds and in all the wardrobes. Yeah, and behind the door. Oh yeah, and behind the door. <laughs> yeah, and of course it's Myers is on the same street and finds that house that. The granddaughter's, I've forgotten her name, sorry. The granddaughter's friend is actually babysitting at. It's very coincidental, isn't it? Very coincidental that this small town seems to be keeping their back doors unlocked. Yeah, that too. But is it an open door policy on Halloween, maybe? Or your back door? I don't know. Okay, I've actually got a question for you, James. What would you do if I'm screaming for you to help me? You know there's someone in the house and I'm squealing like I'm being murdered. What are you going to do? Okay, so you put me in Dave's situation right now. Yeah, you are now Dave. Okay, so have I been smoking weed as well? Like Dave has? Am I playing around with the bike in the shed? No. You're reading a graphic novel. <laughs> I'm smoking weed and I'm reading a graphic novel. A great, great way of describing me, Sam. You're doing something geeky. I could be working out. Okay, no, you're working out in, in the living room. Yeah, I'm getting my sweat on. And I hear you screaming upstairs. Yeah. And I apparently know someone's in the house. Yeah, because the kids just come down. So I'm the babysitter. The kids come down... That uh, kid could be taking a piss. It could be playing a practical joke on me. I don't know. Okay, so you think he's playing a joke on you and you think I'm playing the joke on you. Well, I've apparently heard you screaming upstairs. Yeah. Kids run downstairs. For some reason, I'm working out in this house I don't live in. <laughs> well, you just chose that. You could have been reading a graphic novel. <laughs> okay, it's Halloween night. I'm probably watching a horror film. There you go. And I hear you screaming, so I'll probably make this mistake of running upstairs to see what's going on. I've already condemned myself. I'm basically just done a Dave. (laughs) Well, Dave does grab a knife, doesn't he? Yeah, and then he ends up hanging from a wall with that knife in his neck. With that knife. I should access the situation and maybe go into the kitchen and equip myself with a frying pan or a knife or something to defend myself with, a rolling pin. (laughs) 
or maybe those dumbbells I've been working out with in some random stranger's house. And then I should creep up the stairs and check around every corner. So you you just think that the automatic reaction of pretty much anyone, not just yourself, but it's going to be, well, you go and you go and see what's happened. You, you've heard someone scream, so you go to them, don't you? If the adrenaline's pumping, you're not thinking straight. And if it's someone you love screaming, you're going to go, right, your mind's just going to go, get yourself up there now, see what's yeah. going on. So do you then think it's selfish for me to be screaming for you to help me? No. It's <laughs> natural, isn't it? You're not going to go, oh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and be killed. Well, no, I think I'd be screaming, but could I maybe go, run, get out! Maybe. Save yourself. You're, you're the compassionate one in the relationship. I could see yourself in Vicky's shoes actually telling Julian to run and save himself. Yeah, I definitely would. But then I still would want to be saved. Well, yeah, because you're facing a life-threatening situation. You got, you're calling out. Yeah. But is this any? Is this some random attacker, or am I coming across face to face with Michael Myers? Well, in this situation, it's Michael Myers. Well, yeah, I'm dead then because no one is going to survive Michael Myers. He's superhuman. Yeah, unless you're a final girl. Yes, <laughs> I'm not. I have male genitalia between my legs. <laughs> I'm Ray in this film. I'm defending my family and being the only family member to end up getting killed in the end. My male bravado. It does make me feel like I want to learn a bit of like self-defence and like general fitness to get my strength up, you know, just in case. I think I might like put a few like booby traps around the house as well, you know, that we know about. Yeah, but we stub our toes all the time. We're, we're <laughs> going to end up stepping on our own booby traps and getting our toes blown off or something. <laughs> Maybe like Home Alone style then. You know, like the um, feathers blowing in the face. Or <laughs> well, a paint bucket hitting me in the head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then you're going to have people visiting and you're going to go, OK, look out for the booby traps. Doesn't really pan out. No, but maybe if you know someone's coming around, you can um, I turn think them off. The best decision is keep on watching Cobra Kai and in the end you're going to be encouraged to get into Kung Fu. Yeah, so talking, talking about like self-defence and stuff... Let's have a look at the final girl, or girls. Hmm, final women. Yeah. Well, by the end of the film, you now have three generations of strode women, traumatised mm-hmm. by the shape. Yet Laurie, Karen and Alison all show their resilience and strength against insurmountable odds. Karen is literally, though reluctantly, trained to defend herself against Michael Myers, even at the expense of her childhood. And I do love Judy Greer's Fate and switch moment at the end when she lures Michael into the panic room. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. She she is playing the the damsel, isn't she? Hmm. Oh no. I can't do it, mother. I can't do this. Ha ha sucker. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I do really like actually that the three of them in the end, they were all shown in a very realistic way. Even the granddaughter, she hasn't had she hasn't had any preparation, has she? But well, she's had years of being told the true events of what happened yeah. like forty years ago. Yeah, but not but not prepared like her mum. She's still in there. She grabs a knife at the end, doesn't she, to get um, Myers off her mum's feet? So the three of them together become this force of nature. Yeah. Yeah, 
Um, or fire and brimstone. But even before Alison reaches the house, she is confronted for the first time with Michael Myers. She knows what to do, unlike all the other teenagers. She doesn't try to have a conversation with him. Second she sees his face, she runs. Mm. She knows what to do. Because she has had that bit, bit of preparation. Oh, it's been she? drilled into her by yeah. her grandmother. Because that's how she likes calling her. Grandmother! <laughs> and it's also interesting how far the film goes to not sexualise Alison. They could have easily done so. It's yeah. in the slasher DNA. Even the original Halloween had titties on display. But I feel the makers wanted to modernise the franchise. Take Halloween night, where Alison spends the remainder of the film in a shirt and trousers because of her whole gender swap Bonnie and Clyde costume with her boyfriend, which is completely the opposite to the scanty clad women of horror past. <laughs> there was only one short skirt that I saw, actually, in all the Halloween costumes. And there was the girl dressed up like a weird... Oh, yeah, tig- tiger thing. Like oh, tig- yeah, she had, like, paint tiger on her. She kind of looked like the Marvel character. Mm, okay. Maybe a couple, but not, like, really obvious and in-your-face and zoomed in. <laughs> well, the only breasts which were, were on show were flashbacks from the original Halloween film. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting just to see Alison running about. Did she actually keep her tie on as well? Because like a whole shirt, tie, trousers ensemble she was running around in. I don't remember that. It was almost like... I don't remember if she took it off or not. Well, it's like Laurie in the original, where she is basically dressed from head to toe, with like basically no skin on show. But maybe that's the only way that we can think of them as serious characters, to not show any skin. But Just... let's face it, October, it's cold. You're not going to be showing any skin. That's Unless true. you're really drunk and you're... Dressed up like a cheerleader. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so we go from the three generations, none of them die, but how many kills did we have in this one, James? Because it was a lot more than the first film. I feel like we reached that point at maybe the 30 minute mark or something like that. <laughs> well, the highlight, of course, is Michael's rampage through Haydenfield, mm. shot in one take. So God knows how many takes One they had to do. Take. How many takes they had to do to get that right? My God. Michael is in his sixties now, but he's more virile and stabby than ever. He's had blue balls for forty years, <laughs> but now he's back on the street and clearly he's discovered Red Bull and Ambien upon release. Because Michael kills sixteen people in this sequel, a significant increase in bodies to the five murders. In the original, which Dave ridiculed for not being a big deal these days, almost mm-hmm. foretelling the bloodshed to come. I, I had a theory though, didn't I? And I wanted to see if that theory played out. Um, unfortunately, it didn't, but my theory was that Michael Myers killed females and males differently. And because um, his first female kill was. It was a bit more psychological, wasn't it? Because she's in the bathroom, he's banging on the doors and she's telling him to go away. Like anyone would do, I would do that. And then he puts his hand over and drops all of these teeth out. Oh, he just picked them up off the floor after bashing his jaw oh, into the I middle of the desk. Oh, that jaw. Um, but Michael's clearly hasn't lost his creativity. No. But then she just gets strangled and then... All of the other kills before that, they're all really horrific. They're quite brutal, aren't they? They're all male as well. And they're all male. So that was the first female in the bathroom, which was the um, podcast lady. Yeah, and then her <laughs> co-host, he, he then got brutally murdered by having his head smashed against the wall and, yeah. what, a condom machine? Anything at hand? 
Oh, yeah, that it wasn't very nice, was it? Um, yeah, well, that then that theory quickly dovetailed. It did, yes, because then... Oh, yeah, then we went into the um, one-shot, didn't we? Well, before he got his prized knife, he discovered a hammer, and then he took it to town on an old lady's head. Yeah. Off camera, but you still heard it. Well, yeah, you didn't actually see it happen, but then it, it followed him out of the room, and then you saw what had happened. Mm, the end result. Um, yes. But do you know what? That mask still freaks me out. It's the emotionless... Emotionlessness. <laughs> it's the black eyes. You just you can't see. And it's all withered and aged now. Yeah. And if you can compare it to all the other Halloween masks, and a lot of them are hilariously terrible because they are just so ridiculous to look at. Mm. Sometimes he looks like an alien because his eyes are so <laughs> big. And if the one-shot killing spree is the high point, then for me the low point is Doctor Sartain. He's like a Bond villain with his questionable accent and that stupid penknife thingy and his implausible motives. I want to know what he's feeling. I want to know what pleasure he gets from killing. Dude, get a hobby. Say something, Michael. What is this obsession with wanting Michael to speak? (laughs) Even the podcaster wants him to say something at the start of the film. Like, you can feel it, can't you, Michael? You can feel your mask. Say something, Michael. Why? What is he going to say? He's been incarcerated for over 40 years. What is he going to talk about? Maybe he's got like a really high voice. (laughs) And that's why he's not talking. (laughs) I like cheaters and killing people. Oh, and I really like this mask. Why are we putting on funny voices? (laughs) That's Michael's voice. (laughs) I like petting llamas and choking (laughs) people to death. But do you think if he did say something, Sartain would have creamed his pants? <laughs> <laughs> Most likely, actually. <laughs> that has been a long time coming. And then he lights a, cig- oh, he lights a-, he lights a cigarette afterwards. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he has his head bashed in. Mm. Because Michael is still superhumanly strong. Yeah, how old is he at that He's point? 60-something. Yeah, that bit's not very realistic, though, is it? Well, before that, he got hit by a car. How did how did he survive that? Yeah, how is his leg still functioning <sighs> enough for him to do a one kill by stamping on Sartain's head like a rotting pumpkin? <laughs> do you reckon they actually used a pumpkin? <laughs> no. Or do you think that's what they were going for? This reminds you of a pumpkin. Yeah, because that's what I thought. It smashed like a pumpkin. And then he has the time... And the patience to be very creative and taking off one of the officer's heads and turning it into a jack-o'-lantern with a torch. Yeah. How did he have the time to do that? It's not a very quick task to do, is it? But hey, you've got to admire him for his creativity still. He's clearly been keeping himself occupied all these years. Clearly. Standing in that little square. So his preparation was just not being able to do anything and Laurie's preparation over the years was to train herself her daughter and prepare her granddaughter a little as much as she could well at least giving her some money so she can get out of town yeah live her life go to Mexico (laughs) yeah and yeah I remember her saying something like that she's she's tried to um I've tried to protect you prepare you and now we need to hunt him down She's had enough. She wants to end it. That's why I love Laurie. 
Yeah, she even has to basically <laughs> round up. Control. She has to round up the police and get them doing their job because they seem to be floundering all over the place. Yeah, they don't know Myers as well as she does. Well, when she's been preparing all these years, she expects everyone to jump in line as quickly as possible. Yeah. But that's not going to happen. No, because no one's been preparing as much as she has. And no one's going to listen to Laurie because she has a reputation now. Yeah, but she's spent all that time... Okay, one one little niggle. She spent all that time preparing her house, um, preparing that um, basement to be set alight. All those spotlights on the roof. Yeah. Those trap doors and those weird... What are those? Shutters on the doors? Yeah, fantastic. But she forgot the glass on the front door. (laughs) (laughs) That really annoyed me. I was like, okay, so she's standing by the front door. You can clearly see there's glass there. A hand is going to come through. You just knew it was going to happen. And you can debate and say that is maybe a ploy to lure him in because it turns out the house is actually a trap. Yes. But that could have completely gone out the window, pun intended, because she could have just got her neck broken she right there and done. then. But I do think it was a way to get Myers in. I think she was trying to play slight, I'm not prepared for you to be here, damsel, kind of thing. Oh no, you're in my house, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, she then shows him that she's prepared and all of these shutters are coming down. And then um, her daughter also does the same ploy of, oh no, I can't shoot him. And Karen knew about the trap as well. Yeah. The final trap. But that doesn't explain why Laurie still allowed herself to get thrown out the window. Ah, well, I think she just wanted to get the um, disappearing act in yeah, there, the, like he did on the, the first the one. The wink, wink. <laughs> I actually quite liked that. <laughs> and it's happy Halloween, Michael. So, what's our verdict then, James? Well, I know my verdict, Sam. And it's unfortunate now, when we watch Halloween, that it no longer feels fresh after all the imitators and sequels that followed. Yet none have come close to matching the quality of it... Until Halloween 2018. Mm. It's the perfect follow-up to the original Halloween that actually has something to say. I agree with you. Apart from the dark shots and being a bit grossed out with some of the kills, I wasn't scared, but I actually really enjoyed this one. You was empowered. Yes, yes, because it has empowered me. It's made me want to learn some self-defence and buy some slipper socks. (laughs) Don't run around in socks on wooden floors. If that's anything anything you get from this episode, <laughs> do that. Especially when there's a homicidal maniac in your house. Yes, running around, chasing you. And before we wrap up today's episode, we have a couple of shout-outs for some fellow horror podcasts. Yes. Every week, Drew and Krista bring new terrors to the table. What began as explorations of the literary analysis of horror movies has expanded into research and conversation about all things horrifying so check out dr scarelove if that's your cup of tea and be sure to check out porcelain peak every monday three spooky boys humorously dissect horror and sci-fi flicks genre news and trivia 
and strange true crime stories. And today you've been listening to Scaring Sam. I'm James. And I'm Sam. And you can find us at Scaring Sam Pod at Instagram and Twitter. And you can contact us at scaringsampod at gmail.com. And be sure to rate and review us on any listening platform. <laughs> it's always appreciated. It is indeed. Stay, Stay safe, safe out, out there, there tonight. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Stay safe out there tonight. 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 tonight.